Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That it with your WWE Hell in a Cell Ultimate Preview. That's right, the Silver King is back once again, just two days after our NXT takeover in your house. Instant analysis to break down WWE's next upcoming pay per view, Hell in a Cell. The final, at least we hope, pay-per-view of the pandemic era. We are excited to bring you this show today as the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, and vintage Chris Benini break down the entire WWE Hell in a Cell card. We talk about every match and storyline. We give predictions from what we think not only is going to happen in the match, but going forward afterward. And of course, we will also talk about everything else that happened from SmackDown and Raw in a new segment we are debuting on today's show. So exciting times here at the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. But before we get into those exciting times, you guys know we take care of business at the jump here. And that business, the business we've chosen, is all about the five. And that means it's all about you guys heading on over to Apple Podcasts, dropping a five-star rating with a review to let people know how much you love this show. And I saw over this past week, a couple of reviews come in from Auckland, New Zealand, and another one from Australia. So people worldwide are talking about the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Just in case, if you're not in the United States, that's fine. You can still head on over to iTunes, leave a five-star rating and review, and it will show up on the local stores. We're big, obviously, in the United States, the United Kingdom, but we got listeners all over the world. I was looking at a list Russia, Germany, Israel, uh, Australia, Congo. It, it was crazy when I saw some of the places that people were listening to the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. So I appreciate all of you, our international listeners, as well, of course, as our domestic listeners. But it is all about the five here. It's about being marks for the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, and Vintage Chris Vanini. So I might as well introduce him now. Vintage, how are you? Welcome to the ultimate preview of WWE Hell in a Cell. We have a lot to get to today. We do. It's kind of a weird spot here because we know the big return for WWE is coming in about a month, but we've got business to take care of. We have a Hell in a Cell pay-per-view to preview, and I think uh, the setup of the card and everything is kind of indicative of, of this purgatory we're kind of all sitting in right now. It is, and we actually have to kind of note And we'll get to it later, of course. Uh, That will be the second part of the show, The Ultimate Preview. We're starting with our brand new segment. That's how we do it on these episodes. This is not a bad card by any means. It is the last pandemic show, true. But for a five-match card, there are four potential bangers on this thing. Sorry, a six-match card. Uh, There's five potential bangers on this thing. And I'm extremely excited to see what they give us this coming Sunday. I, I think it may be, look, all the WWE pay-per-views during this era, we've talked about it, they've been at worst good. Some of them have been great. I think this has a chance to be another great pay-per-view, depending how, of course, WWE books it. Yeah, I I mean, I have no doubt that this is going to be a solid card because pretty much every WWE pay-per-view in the Thunderdome has been pretty good, and they keep them short. Again, five, probably six matches on this card. Uh, this is this this will be kind of be the end of an era, so to speak. I think the last Thunderdome pay per view, and uh, they've done a good job with them. So I, I I'm excited for it. I am as well. But as I promised, we are starting today's show 
with a new segment. Some of you from my old podcast may remember something called Hero or Zero. You've seen Buy or Sell on Pardon the Interruption. Well, the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is introducing something else. I hope you guys enjoy it. And it is called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. So what we're going to do every week, we normally start our shows with the main event. We talk about the biggest topics in the world of WWE, and then we just kind of meander and break down everything else that happened on the show. Well, we're still going to do that, but we're going to do it and we're going to grade each individual segment as good, bad, or ugly. And of course, if something is better than good, then we will indicate that to you as well. So the WWE Hell in a Cell Ultimate Preview, that's coming later. The entire episode is timestamped. So if you happen to be listening a little bit closer to the pay-per-view and you kind of just want a preview of the card, you will be able to hear it separately. Of course, just check our episode description, find the timestamp and skip ahead in the show. But it is my hope that you listen to this entire program, starting with our new segment, the good, the bad and the ugly. So let's get started, Chris, with SmackDown, where we had Kevin Owens and Big E against Apollo Crews and Sami Zayn in a tag team match. Big E hit a ton of belly to belly suplexes, plus a Uranagi on Cruz for a near fall. And this match, dude, as you could tell with the names involved, it was all about one thing. The beef was flying. Owens got a hot tag after Big E dodged a Cruz frog splash. He beat on Zayn with a couple cannonballs and a senton bomb for a near fall. KO nearly beat Cruz with a pop up power bomb, and Zayn nearly beat Owens with a blue thunder bomb, but their partners broke the falls. KO countered a Huluva kick with a stunner and got the win for the faces. Cruz blamed Zayn, calling him an idiot for the loss and challenged them to a rematch, them being the faces next week, with Commander Aziz. Zayn got pissed at Cruz, so Aziz hit him with the Nigerian nail. I enjoyed this entire thing, I gotta say. It was a solid match featuring four of the best wrestlers on the brand, and they booked it in a way where it makes sense for Commander Aziz to finally get into the ring, just like they did with AJ Styles and Omos over on Raw. The only negative to this entire thing is that the Intercontinental Championship remains in no man's land right now because Cruz has already beat Big E. He's already beat KO. There's not another clear challenger for him. And now you're just doing a tag team match where the title is just secondary to the entire thing. That's okay for me through Hell in a Cell because they're not booking the match on the card. But after that, with Money in the Bank coming up, with fans coming back, they really need to elevate the Intercontinental title again in front of a significant crowd. So for the Silver King, this segment on SmackDown was indeed good. Yeah, it, it was a fun match. You know, you talk about the the, the big meaty men. I mean, when, when Apollo Crews was holding up Big E for like five seconds in that suplex, that was incredibly impressive stuff. All these guys are incredibly good wrestlers, and we got a really, really fun match out of it. All of these guys are kind of stuck in no man's land since uh, Aleister Black got let go and, and Big E's plan is up, went up in smoke. So now we don't really know what to do. I'm fine with doing a fun tag match here. I'm fine with doing the tag match next week and introducing Aziz. It's a good little twist. We know it'll be good. But yeah, we, we need an IC feud uh, to start pretty soon here. And honestly, I think this group, this, I don't know, we call it division or whatever, needs to be freshened up a bit. We've gotten really good stuff from all of them, but we got to get some new people in here now, I think, to see Apollo Crews fighting some different people. He's, he's been fighting Kevin Owens and Big E for 
four months, months. now, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's been quite a while. So let's before let's since before him. WrestleMania. I mean, yeah, well before WrestleMania. So yeah. let's let's get something else in there. But overall, this segment, yeah, I'm gonna give it a good. All right, we're moving over to Raw. We'll kind of talk about some mid card picture over there. Jeff Hardy gave Riddle some advice backstage about tag team wrestling, and his eyes were closed while he was talking. You know, with the paint on his eyelids. And then he shocked Riddle uh, when he opened his actual eyes. Riddle rambled as usual when Hardy disappeared and Randy Orton showed up, telling him not to try to imitate Orton, but instead to just be himself for better or worse. I thought this was a great, fun little interaction with Jeff Hardy, and it led to three matches that we got later on the show. Uh, First, Hardy versus John Morrison. Hardy took a squirt from the dripstick. Did I really just say that? Uh, Before the bell. It was their first time wrestling one-on-one in a decade. Cedric Alexander's music hit 30 seconds into the match. Hardy hit Whisper in the wind for a near fall. Morrison used the top rope for a cutter on the ring apron. I thought that was really cool. And then he hit Starship Pain for the win. So they wrestled for like three minutes, despite not having fought in 10 years and it kind of being an exciting, nostalgic type of match. He gets this loss. Hardy takes it after beating Alexander last week. That made no sense. Alexander then grabbed the mic and said he should have retired Hardy last week. And Hardy goes, all right, you know what? Let's fight and I'll put my retirement on the line if you beat me. On uh, the first hour of Raw, the week before a pay-per-view, Jeff Hardy just decides this is a good idea. So then we get Hardy versus Alexander, one-on-one. Hardy kicks out of a Mishinoku driver. Alexander imitated Hardy with a swanton bomb, but obviously missed it. Uh, And then Hardy dodged a neutralizer, which is his finisher. Then he hits the Twist of Fury and a swanton bomb for the win over Cedric Alexander. So Chris... Seriously, what the fuck was the point of this? You have Alexander getting over Benjamin and you're saying, okay, he just beat, you know, in a series, a short series that wasn't that well done, but there were some good pieces to it. A veteran in Shelton Benjamin. Now you're clearly going to give him a feud with Jeff Hardy. That's great. But you have Hardy beat him in like three or four minutes last week. You follow that up with Hardy losing this week for no reason to John Morrison only to beat Cedric Alexander again. So you're not building Alexander. You're not building Hardy. And Morrison had no reason to get a win as his first, by the way, singles win in like, I think since he returned to WWE, it felt like he hasn't won a singles match. I I don't know. I have to actually go look. But if it's not his first, it's like one of two since he returned to WWE. And all of this is happening inside of shitty three-minute matches instead of just giving us, I don't know, one good 10-minute match on a three-hour Raw. So, sorry, this was nonsensical dog shit. And I ask, who the hell booked this crap? This is bullshit, so if you can't tell, I didn't like it. Uh, I'm not going to go ugly because there's things that are far worse, but this was B-A-D bad. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, what is the goal of this storyline they're doing it's it's you would think it's to elevate cedric alexander and they're trying to say he's too confident and he loses when he's too confident but he's losing way too much he, he it, it's happening every other week he's losing a match because he gets too cocky why is he so cocky he's he has no reason to be even before the early in the the shelton feud I, like it, it just doesn't feel like they're executing what they're trying to do and yeah, so now Morrison is better than Hardy. Hardy's better than Alexander. We've already been told Morrison's no good. So n- nobody looks good out of this. It's 
it's extremely weird. I when Hardy put his career on the line, you knew the result, but it to me it was a little bit better than just hey let's fight right now and then we keep fighting. I, I don't know. I'm I'm gonna give it a bad as well. I just I don't understand what the goal is from a segment like this. I, I gotta say I actually didn't know the result of the Hardy retirement match. And here, even though yes, you would think. In any scenario, Jeff Hardy would never retire in hour one of Raw against Cedric Alexander, right? You wouldn't think that would happen. But in that first match with Morrison, I'm watching it, and Hardy was moving as slow as molasses. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this guy, these injuries have caught up with him. He doesn't look good anymore. And that was before the retirement challenge. So, so my head was like, maybe this guy got like diagnosed with something like, you know, a, a shattered knee or whatever, and he's playing through the pain. And he's just going to go out on his back here and actually retire. Maybe he can't wrestle anymore. It's an edge situation where edge had that one last match, you know, at WrestleMania. And then he retired. And then the next night, even though he knew he had to retire soon, and then he retired the next night. So that's kind of what I thought was happening here. And since he was kind of had the little feud with Hardy, with uh, Alexander last week, they were going to pull it off. And I was like, man, are they really going to retire Jeff Hardy? So they did actually swerve me a little bit, but that doesn't make up for the fact that this makes no sense. And by the way, even if they're building, let's say, to like a triple threat match, which they can't be because Morrison wasn't involved with Alexander at all, to, that would go to no end because none of these guys are competing in the mid-card title picture right now, which is completely Sheamus, Humberto Carrillo, and Ricochet, who we didn't even see on the show. But that's okay because A, it was a go-home for a pay-per-view, and B, Sheamus, I think, legitimately broke his nose. So there's excuses and reasons for all of that. But there was just no... There's nothing out of any of this except for maybe Hardy's interaction with Riddle that could be taken as a positive for me. Yeah, no, no, exactly. I, I I thought it was possible maybe they have a faulty finish and maybe Hardy decides to put his career on the line and then does leave because of something at like Helen Cell or something. But I didn't expect it to happen on that Monday Night Raw. Either way, I just, I don't, again, I don't understand what the goal of the segment was. Whatever it was, I don't think they did, they didn't accomplish it. Yeah, they, if they had an idea, they didn't succeed. I tweeted, I was like, someone needs to explain this booking to me. I don't, I, WWE gives us shit booking all the time, but usually I'm just like, it was bad. And, and you say it's bad and you just kind of like ignore, like, okay, next week we'll see what they do. But this angered me because I, I want like, usually when it's bad, there's at least a reason. Oh, it's to get Nia Jax over. It's to do this, it's to do that. I don't understand the reasoning for this. And I don't know why you would ever book something this way. So just as I, as MVP said, actually, it was bullshit. That was bad. We both agree. Uh, we had New Day against RK Bro in a tag team match. This was scheduled ahead of the show. Kofi Kingston hit Orton with a springboard uh, frog crossbody. Riddle ran through Kofi on a hot tag with an exploder, a ripcord knee, and a floating bro. Orton shoulder checked Xavier Woods' interference, but Kofi kicked out anyway. Kofi then blind tagged in for a real frog splash on Riddle, but Orton broke the fall. Woods kicked out after a double-team powerbomb. Woods then countered Riddle's gut-wrenched German suplex over the ropes, and New Day hit an elevated double stomp, but Riddle escaped by arching his back. Woods then finally went for his rolling face buster, but Orton caught him midair with an RKO for the win. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, the RKO is the best finisher in professional wrestling, and you saw why once again on Raw. Chris, I thought this was an exceptional match. They got parts of three different segments. There was some sloppiness, yes, over the final few minutes. But this was four great wrestlers going out 
and doing their thing together. All of these matches, the singles matches, the tag team matches between these two groups have hit. They've been great. I went 3.75 stars and a B plus. So yeah, you know, I liked it. This shit was good. It was lots of fun all around. I, I, I keep thinking about the promos that Riddle is cutting backstage where he's rattling off a lot of things very quickly. And I'm mm-hmm. wondering, how is this the same guy who just a month or so ago forgot his lines with Asuka and seemed to not know what the heck he was talking about? I don't know if if there's just better writing or if he's just kind of figured out a better way to do it, but he seems like a completely different dude cutting promos now. Um, I, I enjoyed everything about this. It's just getting a little repetitive. Like, I, I need to see Riddle and Orton do something else other than fighting Kofi and... Xavier, which we know they can beat them. We know they can do moves and Riddle sings Randy's song and whatnot. I'm going to put this in the good, but kind of like with the Intercontinental deal on SmackDown, I got to see something changed up here. Well, it looks like that's happening, right? Because MVP met up with Kofi backstage later and he went full on wedge driver to the New Day, telling him right in front of Woods that he's been wasting his career in teams that don't measure up. Let's ignore for the fact that these guys are like 37-time tag team champions. They're, them teaming up has worked for all of their careers. <laughs> yes. But if we put that aside, MVP, um, you know, he, I guess he has a point that Kofi has not been a single star. Right. Like he maybe potentially could have been uh, because he decided to get into a team. Although you would argue, of course, in reality, without New Day, he maybe never becomes WWE champion. But I digress. This wasn't as special of an interaction as we got last week, which really popped me in a major way, but it's crystal clear that Kofi Kingston is being built up as Bobby Lashley's next big feud. I don't know if that means he's his next opponent, but he's either being built up to feud with him at Money in the Bank or SummerSlam or possibly for a Money in the Bank match win, which I think would be extremely interesting as well, even though I prefer the Money in the Bank match, as you all know, go to a younger type of up-and-coming superstar who can use that to catapult them into the main event, as opposed to someone like Kofi, who could really just be there from winning a match or two, as we almost saw a couple weeks ago. But I'm sticking with good for this because the MVP and Kofi stuff is great. Neither of them are scripted. You could see Kofi kind of fumbling a little bit before he caught himself. And and that feels good to watch that on Raw. Like it's natural. That's the way we want our wrestling promos to be. Is it perfect? No, but we don't need wrestling to be perfect. In fact, wrestling is best when it's imperfect. So... Yeah, this was good. I'm excited for this. I think by Kofi kind of splintering off into this feud, whatever's going to be happening with MVP and Lashley, that's naturally going to allow RK Bro to kind of move on here, especially since, hey, they just beat him clean right in the middle of the ring. No shenanigans. You're right. They can split up. This was another good segment on the show. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've said the last couple of weeks, but this is some of Kofi's best promo work of his career. I, I mean, everything he says... You know he believes in it. He's at the point in the career where he's not the up-and-comer, needs to prove himself, wants his shot. He is fully comfortable in who he is and what he has accomplished. And MVP's trying to dig into that, and Kofi's not letting him, uh, at least to this point. They, they've really done a great job of this. I know we're going to get into Drew and Lashley later, but they, they've really done a good job setting up what is clearly the next thing to come. And we don't often get that with, with WWE as they... they set up two stories at a time, especially on Raw. So I these Kofi MVP segments, we've gotten, what, two, three weeks in a row now? I love them every time. This is 
good, better than good, whatever you want to call it. This is this is great stuff. Oh, you're saying we need to go beyond good for this. You're you're saying we need to yes. go something along the lines of, and I am stalling because I was not ready. This is such good shit. You're saying it's such good shit. And it is. I yes. agree. It, it's it's really if they follow through with it the way we expect, it has the opportunity and potential to be such good shit. And we knew we also need on this podcast, I should note, since we are doing the segment now, we need more positive sound drops. So if any of you can think of like great clips from wrestling, contemporary or even Attitude Era or even before that, let us know things that are positive in nature. We have that one. We have uh, the Daniel Bryan Fist Me Boys one and we have Chris Jericho's It. So we have three not all are always applicable. I need more positive sound drops. I'm leaving it up to you guys, the listeners, to tell us which ones to add to the soundboard. But let's move on here and let's go over to the women's division for a little bit. That's where I want to go. We had Naomi face off while she was scheduled to fight Eva Marie in Eva Marie's re-debut to WWE and Raw. Instead, Eva came down with NXT UK's Piper Nevin who jumped into the ring and attacked Naomi as the bell rang. Piper legitimately squashed her and won with a Mishinoku driver. Eva then announced herself, Eva Murray, as the winner. And Piper was extremely happy, hugging her kind of like a super fan. They treated Piper as a mystery to be revealed later and didn't even give her name. So I'm completely mixed on this. On one hand, let's look at the positives. Piper got called up to the main roster and she's the first person in history to go directly from NXT UK to the WWE main roster. She's not the first one to be in UK and and wrestle there. We had had Walter at Survivor Series um, and there's one or two cruiserweights who I believe started on 205 Live, went to UK and, and also have wrestled on the main roster back and forth. But regardless, she's the first one to get called up and be a permanent member of the WWE main roster, which is quite a feat. And she should, you know, feel really good about that. And then she beats Naomi, a, a former WWE women's champion in her first match. I also like the gimmick that she's a protege and not just a monster because of her size. The one other thing I liked, and I have no idea if WWE did this on purpose or not, but if everyone remembers like six years ago when Eva Marie was last in <laughs> WWE, the gimmick, or not the gimmick, but what ended up happening was they would schedule her a match, they'd introduce her, and she wouldn't show up because of an excuse. She had one thing or another to do. Well, they also scheduled her for a match here. She didn't wrestle, so that kind of plays into that. But she didn't, she you know showed up this time. She didn't use an excuse. But the last excuse she gave in her final quote-unquote appearance, or I guess mention, on WWE TV before she was released was that she was going on a vacation to the British Isles. Piper Nevin is from Scotland. So I don't think it's on purpose. But if it is, and if they actually were smart enough to give us that, then I'm giving credit to the writing staff for actually pulling those things together. Now, those are all the positives. On the other hand, as many of you tweeted us, and it was obvious, the commentary team sounded like absolute morons not knowing who this woman was considering she's been employed by WWE for years. It's the same shit they did with Davikato when he re-debuted as Commander Aziz and Omos when he went from the guard, uh, the, the doorman of Raw Underground to suddenly being 
AJ Styles heavy and eventually his tag team partner. Plus, we saw a former champion like Naomi, who we root for and we want to be part of the women's title picture, get squashed. That's almost as bad as if she had lost to Eva Marie in an actual like 10 minute match. So Chris, I'm literally split down the middle. Like I I don't want to hedge on our very first good, bad or ugly segment, but this wasn't good. It also wasn't bad and it wasn't ugly. It was really right in the middle. I, I think it's one of those things where it's a wait and see. You can find things to praise or you can find things to complain about depending on your disposition. I am straight right in the middle. I disagree. I wanted to open the show with this. I love this. I loved what they did, and I loved that people got pissed off about it because that's the point. That's always the point with Eva Marie, and they know that, and that's why they did it this way. I don't. I think it's one reason they also did it with Naomi because they knew the reaction they were going to get when they announced the match. You're right about earlier that, on Monday. It blew up and people were like ready because like they got exactly what they wanted out of this. I loved it. I love this Eva gimmick last time. I love when she had that match with Bailey that people thought she was going to win. And and you got to you got to balance a, a tightrope here with her. And I, I don't know if in the long term Raw can do it. But I love this debut because we, we, we weren't sure if she was going to wrestle then we thought she would. The, the, the promos are really positive, uh, uplifting. And then, nope, it's the exact same Eva Marie character. And a lot of people and a lot of people got pissed off and I loved it. Now, say what, Piper coming from UK, you know, it, it, it's fine. I don't watch NXT UK. I didn't know who she was. Most people watching on TV did not know who she was. It's fine. I, 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 I also understand people being upset in the wake of a lot of talented women getting let go recently. That's perfectly fair. But in just the context of this segment and what it was trying to do and what it accomplished, I give this a good all the way. I loved it. You're saying you loved it. So even better than good. I, you're up with the smoke. You were up with the smoke on this. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I, I, no. I, I love. Yep. Yep. No, that's fine. I, you know, there's nothing really for me to disagree with with what you said. You make some really good points. WWE wanted to get heat on them and they accomplished it with their booking and by putting them against Naomi. Zero question about that. The wonder is, can they maintain it? And is it something that's going to work going further? Because this roster is not deep. You're going to ha- are you going to have them do this against Rhea Ripley? No, not Charlotte. Probably not. Asuka, maybe the way they, you know, are, you know, bipolar, for lack of a better term, with how they decide to book Asuka here and there. Maybe I guess you could do it with her. I guess the women's tag team division, you could make it work. And maybe you're maybe that's the goal. Maybe eventually they will be a women's tag team, Eva Marie and Piper Nevin. But I, I just saw so many little things that I already mentioned where I think you can pick it apart. And nitpick, you're kind of getting me to come around and say it was good because I think I gave a pretty good reason for why I thought it was good as well. I mean, yeah, just yeah, you did. The, the, the idea and, of using Eva Marie as a heat magnet to get heat on a new debuting superstar is great. I just wonder, like, why didn't she have a name when they reveal the name? Is it going to be worth waiting for? There was a rumor uh, reported by Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful that the leading candidate for her name, seriously, is Dewdrop. D-O-U-D-R-O-P, meaning like dewdrop, like 
a drop of dew, like off a leaf. I don't even know what that means, and I can't even. Smell it. I, I, I can't even fathom why you would name someone that. So hopefully, one of the reasons they didn't announce her name is because they realized that is horrendous, yeah. and they come up with something better than that, or you know, just call her Piper Nevin since that's the name she's been using, and there's no reason not to do that. But I am really interested in the idea of her not being a Mickey James tagging along with Trish Stratus, but more someone who Eva Marie is rejoining WWE with to purposely take under her wing because Eva Marie tweeted after that it's her protege. So she doesn't look at her as a fangirl. She looks at her as someone that has potential that she's going to try to help reach her potential. And that's what those vignettes were all about. So I got to say, for as bad as an Eva Marie debut could have been, this really wasn't. And you know what, Chris? You got me to come around. This was indeed good. Let's do it. Yeah, and also, by the way, we didn't even talk about this. Piper looked great. She looked great. Like, yeah. l- like Eva got the attention, but, you know, to finish with a Michinoku driver, like, she looked really good. I Again, I'm not familiar with her. So, we, you know, people are going to be upset by Naomi losing to Eva, but technically she lost to a new women's wrestler who looks to me like has a lot of talent. I, I think that's a good thing. By the way, for, since you don't know her, you should probably, you know, go back, maybe watch one or two matches of her. She can do everything. Like, look, look she like op- she operates not as a, f- for lack of a better comparison, she doesn't operate as a Nia Jax or a Tamina. She operates as a fully fleshed out wrestler a la Kevin Owens. That's actually the best example I can mm. give. She can do an entire moveset and is fluid and an extremely good wrestler. So I'm excited to see her on the main roster. They need more fresh women's talent. I do hope that we also get Kaylee Ray coming up from NXT UK now that she's lost that championship. I would love it if we got one or two women from NXT whenever this draft ends up happening. They badly need more women on SmackDown especially. But for a first night, for a debut, and for a re-debut, yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm getting off the fence on this one. It was indeed good. Let's stick with the women's division. Carmella against Liv Morgan on SmackDown. They fought again. They again called Mella the most beautiful woman in WWE. And they didn't just say it. They said it four times during her entrance. Mella made Cole say that she was beautiful one minute into the match. To be fair, Pat McAfee did a really good job on commentary sharing Mella's credentials beyond her beauty. Hey, by the way, she's not just pretty. She's a multi-time women's champion who won money in the bank and so on and so forth. Morgan hung Mella up in the ropes and hit her springboard facebuster finisher called Oblivion, which is a great name and a great finisher for the win. The match was hardly three minutes for the second straight week. So in two weeks, we get the same match, less than six minutes combined, with zero storyline other than the fact that it's 50-50 booking. I thought they'd at least get more time in the rematch, regardless of the winner. Again, both of these women deserve so much better. I'm, I'm glad that Liv won. I don't mind the 50-50 idea for a budding rivalry. But this is just pathetic booking for them and the women's division. They're doing the same thing with Shinsuke Nakamura and Baron Corbin. You have hours upon hours of programming. Why can't these people get six, seven, or eight minutes on TV? So despite some of the gems that I can find in this, the diamonds in the turd, it's ugly. This is just ugly booking. And they really got to figure out a way to book the women better, especially better than this. Yeah, and, and this was another one where 
it kind of came out of Ruby Riot getting let go and, and the changes that they made and suddenly Liv Morgan needed something to do. And, and here we go. Carmella should not be losing to Liv Morgan, no matter how it happens. They like they again, they rattled off her accomplishments. She's very Why not? Why why shouldn't she? Because we haven't seen anything from Liv Morgan. She like Ruby Riot was was the, the focal point of that tag team. Now she's a single star. We've only seen her in a handful of single matches ever. And now she's beating a former women's champion. I I, I don't know. She I shouldn't think- be she shouldn't beat her in three minutes. But if they had a 12 sure. minute match and Liv yeah, Morgan no, got, yeah, got over her, yeah, 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 yeah. that's okay. Yeah, if you can, yeah, exactly. If you can tell the story to sell me on Liv winning, then that'll do something. A three minute match is not going to do it. You, exactly. you don't, you don't, you'd almost wish they would just between this or the Nakamura Corbin just cut one of them for a week, <laughs> double the size of one I of know. them, and then do the other one the next week. So, exactly. So, you, so exactly. you can you can grow something because yeah, this is. And by the way, this it's, it's sorry to interrupt. Sorry to interrupt. We're going to talk about it later. But this is on a show where like the Roman Reigns stuff that we've been talking about, it gets an hour, it kills the show. It got like 30 minutes this week. So yeah. it was on a show that had more time to give. I'm sorry, continue. Yeah, no, and, and that's it. And let, there's there are not a lot of women on SmackDown and they need to, they're trying to find a way to have women on there. And uh, B- B- Bailey isn't wrestling. Sasha's not around. And so there's not a lot of options they can do. And I, I'm sure that's part of it, but. I don't know. I don't know if they don't trust Liv Morgan to go 10 minutes or what, but it, it, it's not good. I'm going to go. I'm not going to go with an ugly. But I'm going to go with a bad. All right. We'll stay with the women. The sexy muscle friends were doing a photo shoot by a practice ring when the noise of women practicing distracted them. Natalia and Tamina said if they put as much work into their wrestling as they did on their looks, they might be champions one day. Natalia also said that they didn't get into the WWE, they being uh, Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke because of their skills. And Mandy Rose said the champions never would have gone into WWE without their families. The champions then dared them to get in the ring and they all brawled. I got to say, I can understand why some people may not like this, but this was to me easily the best women's segment in the first hour of Raw. And the first hour of Raw was filled with women's stuff. Unlike the Carmella thing, where Beauty is her gimmick and a crutch. Mandy and Dana came into WWE legitimately as fitness models before WWE signed them. So what Natalia said was real. Like they were signed because of their looks and and athleticism with the hopes that they could become wrestlers. Plus the back and forth of this wasn't over who is prettier and, you know, whether someone is pretty or whether they're not. It was just barbs being thrown back and forth between two tag teams to create a rivalry. I got to say, dude, I enjoyed this. I'm going with good. And I dare you to tell me otherwise. No, I'm going to go with good, too. My only question is, who is supposed to be the face here? (laughs) Because I think Natalia, I think Natalia and Tamina made correct points. Like, oh, these ones are actually practicing to get to to be. So are the sexy muscle friends? The heels? I, I don't know. Yes, it, yes I think Because so. it's not clear because it, with, with, with Nia and uh, Shane as champs, they were faces. And it's always been inconsistent how much winning the championships actually meant to them. Because there were times when, again, mm-hmm. they just ran away from matches with Nia Jax. There were times when they chose not to take up a title defense. And they were faces at the t- title match, but they were faces at the time. So 
if that's the case, if, if Natalia and Tamina are the faces, then I think it all works. But overall, I'm going to give it a good. Yeah. I just I was very happy with it. It was it was taking outside of the ring and something that happened outside of even the normal backstage area. It, everyone got to speak, get over a little bit. I don't know. I'm excited for it. And it's one of the few. Look, there's no tag teams, women's tag teams left yeah. after all the releases. So this is the feud that you need to have. And you need to start developing more of them. I love the idea of the feud. I probably think the title shouldn't change. But I have every expectation that we'll get singles matches for the next two weeks and then a tag team match the week after that. So far, as of right now, I'm down for it. And the more women's wrestling, the more that Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke get to actually be on TV and wrestle, the better it is for them and the better it is for us. So I thought it was very solid. Uh, We'll move back to the men. Montez Ford ended up fighting Chad Gable in a singles match. This came about after Gable apologized to the Street Profits for Otis attacking them last week, saying that wasn't his plan or intention. And he just, hey, I got our tag team match canceled because we have no reason to beef. They then argued and ended up in the singles match without their partners at ringside. Gable caught Ford in midair with an ankle lock, and then he caught Ford in midair again uh, with a suplex bridge for a near fall. Both were super cool moves. Otis mangled Angela Dawkins backstage while the match was happening. Ford did an impressive spinebuster kip up and standing moonsault combination. Then he hit a frog splash. It seemed like Otis was supposed to run in to break the fall, but he was super late. So first, the referee stalled by changing position a couple times, and then she eventually counted, and Gable kicked out of the frog splash because he had to, because I guess they didn't want Ford to win clean. And then Otis finally got into the ring, attacked them, and absolutely obliterated Ford. So before I talk about my opinion, Chris, let's give you a chance to get in. What did you think about this entire thing on Friday night? I think it it highlighted that I think Chad Gable might be the most underused or improperly used guy of the last several years. I, I mean, he can do everything that the, the promo stuff last week and this week was good. The match was incredible. I, I mean, it wasn't a ton of time, but man, we just we saw guys do things that we don't often get to see them do. This was super fun uh, of a match. Montez Ford is great, too. Obviously, I, I, I've, I've loved the Alpha Academy since they, they, they teamed up. I'm glad they're still together. I'm glad they're back being heels ish, kind of. This was set up perfectly last week. It was just they did like three or four segments last week. With no resolution, and you knew it was coming next week. That was just like a great little like extra step of storytelling that really adds to it the next week. And then we got a really fun match out of it. And Otis, his splash from the from the middle rope, that looks like the bear bomb. It looks like yeah. it. Well, it looks like it. The it, the, the frog splash from the, from the middle rope looks like it. Oh, would be, oh, the front falling splash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It looks yeah. like it'd be pretty rough to take. I mean, that's a big dude coming on you. So, uh, well, phrasing there. Um, <laughs> This was great. Um, <laughs> hey now, <laughs> <laughs> this was uh, this was really fun. I'm going to give it a good. Yeah. Um, so you're dead right, obviously, about Chad Gable. And dare I say, it's going to piss some people off. Alpha Academy is better than Heavy Machinery. What do you think? Oh about that? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. Like it sucks for Tucker, admittedly, and it would have been nice if they had won the tag team titles at some point. Because people did like them. The fans were cheering for them. I get it. But the Alpha Academy is better for Otis. And it's better for Gable. This was fun wrestling. It's great to see a non-title tag team feud with some oomph to it. You have this one on SmackDown. 
You have New Day against RK Bro on Raw. That's good shit. Like WWE, that's something they refuse to do for years. They're really building up the tag team divisions again. Like we got to give credit where it's due. They're trying. And this is an area in which they're succeeding. Alpha Academies look strong the last two weeks. Really beyond that, with Otis kind of being built as a monster, Otis shaved. He yep. has a different look. He's moving into the heel role for the first time. And you're starting to believe it. We know the Profits will probably end up winning in the end. They'll pin Gable and get out of the feud and eventually challenge for the tag team titles again. But getting Gable and Otis over as heels is important. And yeah, this was really good for a short little segment. I would have loved the match to be a little bit longer, but they gave Ford and Gable a little bit of time that they don't give to other things. This was definitely good. And I'm excited to see the tag team match whenever we eventually get it. Uh, They're selling these guys as being injured by Otis, so it may be a couple of weeks but I am excited about it. Uh, We'll move on. A couple more things here before we get to our WWE Hell in a Cell Ultimate Preview. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura against Baron Corbin. I could not believe they ran this back (laughs) for the fourth time in 28 days. Rick Boogs shredded after the bell. Nakamura folded Corbin over for the second week in a row. Corbin grabbed and lost the crown for the second week in a row. The total match time that these guys have gotten in four matches over 28 days is 12 minutes and 20 seconds. That should be the time. Yes, that should be the time of one match, not four, at least two, not four. Corbin then went backstage and demanded Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville force Nakamura to return the crown. They said no, but they decided to make a fifth match in the series next week with the crown officially on the line. And Corbin just stared Pearce down. What the hell are they doing here? What is the point? A fifth match when the first four haven't even lasted 15 minutes. Is this one going to get eight? And that's going to be the entire thing. Look, I love Nakamura. I love Rick Boogs. I even love Baron Corbin, King Corbin. Yes, I am legitimately a fan of this guy. I know people don't like him. I do. But this is total dog shit. They had a chance to make this interesting with King of the Ring. Now it's all about the crown and it's on the line. It feels like he's just going to win it back given that Nakamura's won the last two matches. I'm incredibly pessimistic given how shit has been to this point. This should have been used either as a King of the Ring tournament or to take the crown off of Corbin so he can change his freaking gimmick after a year and a half as the king. This has been terrible to this point despite the fact that I love Rick Boogs getting introduced, despite the fact that I love Nakamura getting over on people. It's been bad. It's been beyond bad. It's been ugly. It's been beyond ugly. It's been zero point zero. What is it about Corbin that they just do this to him every time? He's it's impossible for him to have a feud where he doesn't wrestle somebody like five times. I don't <laughs> understand this. He's really good. And and who thinks it's a good idea to do this? four weeks in a row and then eventually five for a crown. Like how does like who it feels like something they just throw on at the last second because they need to fill time. But that's every Corbin feud. It just goes over and over and over. And we get so sick of the guy and it doesn't get heat on him. It gets apathy from everybody. So this was ugly. Everybody in this deserves better. They did a good job bringing in Boogs and it added to Nakamura. But like 
man, I just do not understand this booking. And it's none of this is on the performers involved. Just like you said, I just I don't understand it. It's fair to say that what you said earlier about Chad Gable and squandering the talent and and poor booking and being a victim in, in that way. But Corbin is too, to some degree, because even though he's constantly featured, he's featured so poorly. He should be akin to Sheamus on Raw. He should be a guy who's a really badass heel who at any point can challenge for a mid-card title or a world championship. Instead, they've just taken him down so many pegs, not just because he loses feuds, which heels are supposed to lose, but because the feuds either go on for too long or they're too repetitive. And yes, this is another example of something being far too repetitive. You didn't need to do this four times. You could have done it twice where it happened two weeks ago and then it happened this week and then you book the crown match for next week or the week after. It's a three-match series. Yeah, it's 50-50, but every time they wrestled, they got seven, eight minutes and the fall was in question one way or the other. There's so many ways to do this well. It's not a bad idea at its base, but the execution was just such total garbage. And speaking of total garbage, we'll wrap up here before we get to the WWE Hell in a Cell Ultimate Preview with Elias against Jackson Riker. Riker cut an awful taped promo about Elias holding him back. Riker was getting up on Elias again when Elias purposely took another count out for the second week in a row. I am so glad we're getting this absolute dog shit every single week where a guy who should be getting built back up to be over in front of crowds, Elias, is now looking like a total coward who's losing a feud to a guy who probably shouldn't even be in the company. This is beyond bad. I'm repeating myself. It's beyond ugly. This is garbage. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. Yeah, nothing to add other than, again, that Jackson Riker looks exactly like Sean William Scott every time I see him now. I don't, again, I don't understand the goal of this, the audience for this. When Elias is one of your best guys to draw heat in front of a crowd and that's coming, I, I don't get it. Whatever. It is just not good, man. And I think we were actually pretty kind overall to the week in WWE. I mean... I think we had more goods combined than bads and uglies, but damn, I mean, some of these bookings and it's really what's pissing me off. The most consistent thing that pisses me off is the carelessness on some of these short storylines. We've had really bad storylines in WWE and really bad bookings over you know the last decade. I mean, forever. It's happened in every wrestling company forever, but this is not bad booking that we're really criticizing today. It's not giving things enough time to possibly be good, not even giving them chances to succeed. And we saw it in many different ways from Shinsuke and Corbin to Carmella and Liv Morgan. And to some degree, the Jeff Hardy, John Morrison, Cedric Alexander thing, all of those actually have some potential to work and be solid feuds, but none of them are working well. So with that, let's move on to what actually matters on this show. And that is the WWE Hell in a Cell Ultimate preview. Now, officially, as we tape this show, which is on a Tuesday, so we're missing the go home SmackDown. We'll talk later about how we may rectify that. But as of right now, it is a five match card. We will actually be going over six matches because it is our belief that there will be one added to the card this upcoming Friday. 
The way we do our ultimate preview is the opposite of the way we do our instant analysis. Instant analysis, we always start with the main event and work our way down the pay-per-view card. For the ultimate preview, we are basically going to preview it the way we believe WWE should build the card, which is from the low card to the mid card to ultimately the main event. So Roman Reigns, Drew McIntyre, Bobby Lashley, Rey Mysterio, we'll be talking about all of that at the end of this segment, but no worries, we will get there and we will spend plenty of time on it. Let's get started with the match that was announced Monday night, Chris. Alexa Bliss versus Shayna Baszler on a pay-per-view. So as always, we're going to talk about what happened on TV this past week before we preview the match. Alexa Bliss opened Raw on her playground, recapping the end of last week's show. She said she heard complaints about Lily and was putting her in timeout with WWE going back on the road. I found that really interesting. It was almost like they yeah. were breaking kayfabe a little bit yeah. and saying, fans don't like this, so okay, we're not going to use it anymore. Did you yeah. did you take that away also? I had the exact same thought when she talked about the complaints. And uh, yeah, that maybe we're all reading too much into it, but that, that was the exact same thought I had when I heard that. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. And some self-awareness from WWE where, hey, look, this gimmick, Maybe you don't love it, but if there's a bad part of it, it was Lily. Lily was the worst part of the gimmick. So, okay, let's nix that off and kind of see if it improves a little bit. And I got to tell you, man, I thought it did improve a little bit this week coming off of last week, which I thought improved a little bit as well. Nia Jax came into the playground and told Bliss Shayna Baszler would fight her at Hell in a Cell. Then she asked what happened to her friend, uh, meaning Bliss, because they used to be friends. Bliss said they were never friends. Jax got angry and challenged her, and Bliss faked crying before accepting the match and standing up to Jax. To my surprise, I thought it was quite well done calling back to their relationship. It seems like we just said that WWE may be moving away from some of the campiness of the character, and Bliss was quite good here showing confidence in standing up to Jax, someone who, in reality, you would think someone of Bliss's size might be scared to stand up to. Yeah, and... and Back when Alexa Bliss kind of started this, I had talked about, you know, we had Nikki Cross explaining, hey, I'm your friend. What happened to you? And and it felt like that was an angle to kind of um, build on, go deeper into. And I don't know if they're going to or not, but it's, it's an important thing to bring back up that like, oh, she's a real person with a past and friends. And what do they think of her becoming a demonic character for the last several months? So it's always good to acknowledge that. And uh, yeah, that was good. It was. Now we did get the match, Bliss versus Jax. It was her first Raw match, Bliss, in four months. Jax dominated until Bliss sat up Undertaker style, but cross-legged to avoid a leg drop. I loved that spot. I thought it was really cool. Reginald then tried to distract her, but failed. Bliss hit a DDT and then twisted Bliss. But Reginald ran in to pull her off Jax for disqualification because God forbid anyone ever beat Nia Jax. Even a possessed woman. God forbid Nia Jax lose clean in a match. Bliss then seemed to hypnotize Reginald before, after an extended period of time, breaking the hypnosis. I gotta say, the last two weeks, man, I've left Raw more interested in this than I did entering the night. I can only speak for myself. I'm not saying it's great wrestling television. I'm not saying it's even as good as some of the best things that The Fiend has done. Because some of The Fiend stuff no. was legitimately really good. But I'm interested in this now, and I'm entering this match on Sunday legitimately wondering and not knowing who to pick. Because, Chris, 
on one hand, and I'll let you kind of go first with the pick and, and your thoughts here. On one hand, Alexa Bliss should win this because she's the one being built up. Baszler, she's not strong enough where she can't take a loss. It's not going to harm her. And Bliss does the shenanigans now with the Fiend or whatever her possession that would allow her to win a match for one way, one reason or another. On the other hand, if the Lily disappearance is any indication, they could be going away from this character. And going back out on the road means that WWE is going to have less of a way to do some of the fun, unique things they do with this and The Fiend inside the Thunderdome. And Baszler is a really legitimate wrestler who would make a lot of sense as a person to kind of kill off this possession. So I'm mixed here, and I'm going to kind of survey it up to you, or serve it up to you, I should say. What did you think of this on Raw? And who do you think is going to win this match? It, I, I think it's also notable that you and I both really liked the spooky ending to Raw last week. A lot, a lot of people did. And clearly a lot of people the did not like it. And clearly most the people reaction, yeah, yeah, and clearly the reaction from WWE was believing that most people didn't like it. But, but we did like it. And I liked generally what they did here. I don't know if that's enough to that's enough for a build to a pay-per-view match. Uh, and, and that kind of plays into how you're kind of weighing what's going to happen here. There's not much of a story, really. And what does it mean moving forward? We 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 don't know what's when you're in the, the, the stadiums or the, the, the with the crowds, you can't do a lot of this Thunderdome stuff. You can't do as many of the maybe backstage sets that they've that they've been doing. So could I see Shayna winning and Alexa basically leaving this character? I could. I mean, I hope not because I think there's a lot. If you want to end this Alexa Bliss character, I think the way you can do it is having one of her friends pull her back from the depths, whatever that is. I I feel like it's such an easy, simple story you can tell that'll add a lot to everybody involved. I really hope it's not a wrestling match that wakes her up from you know, this demonic possession. I'm going to go with Alexa to win partly because I just kind of hope it doesn't end like this. So maybe maybe my heart's in it a little too much. Uh, but also there's not much of a build and we've seen Shayna lose a lot. So what's one more? I think you absolutely nailed this. Uh, it was the exact analysis I was going to give. If you're going to have Bliss lose and end this character, then the booking that you would have done even though it's rushed and like if it's a reaction from last week, the booking that you would do is say Shayna is in a hospital or she's freaked out mentally and she's unable to compete and that Jax is going to stand in for her. You do the angle this week of Jax wondering what happened to her friend and then you have Jax fight Bliss at Hell in a Cell and beat her and take the possession out of her or bring her back to her senses in some way. If you wanted to hotshot it, that's what you would do. You wouldn't really do it with Shayna Baszler, who, despite being tormented by Bliss, doesn't have any long-lasting connection to her. So I think you absolutely crushed that. And for the exact same reason, I'm going to agree. I'll go with Alexa Bliss winning this. And yeah, I think the vast majority of people had a negative reaction to the end of last week's Raw. What I'll say, just going back to it briefly before we move on, is the playground stuff post-Fiend had been so bad that that was the best thing they had done with Bliss in months. And because of that, I saw like a light at the end of the tunnel almost, where it was like, oh, there's a way this can actually get better. And that was done like a B-horror movie. 
or like a sea, sea level horror movie. And I thought it was on purpose that they did it that way. So I enjoyed that. And then this with the hypnosis for Reginald. And by the way, that's another reason why I think this is going to continue because you're not going to introduce a new power. I can't believe we're talking in this way about wrestling, but you're not going to introduce a new power on the show and then end it, you know, the next week or five days later. So yeah, I, I think she wins and I'm, I'm relatively slightly optimistic that this could work because even if you go back to WrestleMania, by the way, and I'll end on this, the fans booed, right? When they saw, when this whole thing happened, but they didn't boo the fiend and they didn't boo Alexa bliss. They booed the booking. Yeah. which was absolute garbage. They cheered when that thing first came out. They were wondering when that Jack in the Box came out, like what the hell was going to happen. Yep. And they cheered the Fiend's entrance. It was only the booking that they booed. And that has been WWE's problem with the Fiend and Bliss during this entire long-term run. The fans want to like the Fiend and have for long periods of time like the Fiend. The way WWE books it has been such garbage. So I have a little bit of hope after the last two weeks on Raw. Yeah, they they've never been able to finish these things well because they they never other than the the Firefly Funhouse match with John Cena, they've they've never been able to been willing to pull the trigger on the end and, and give it a satisfactory ending. I don't think that's the end of the feud here, but that's something to maybe not look forward to. Agreed. And we spent way too much time talking Alexa Bliss and Shayna Baszler, but you know, it was actually an interesting discussion. Let's move on to the match that has not officially been announced for Hell in a Cell, though we definitely expect it to be Seth Rollins against Cesaro. We got Ding Dong Hello with Bailey and Seth Rollins as the guest on Friday. This is the duo, Chris, I did not know I needed. Rollins and Bailey were incredible, putting each other over as delusional heels, making fun of Michael Cole once Rollins properly came through the door. They were manically laughing throughout different parts of the segment when finally the doorbell rang and they were both surprised because no one was being expected. You knew exactly what was going to happen. Rollins decided he would be a gentleman and open the door. And then he froze in the doorframe as Cesaro appeared and attacked him, destroyed the entire set. Rollins' pants somehow came completely off and he was in his boxer briefs rolling around. Bianca Belair then came out on stage and just like surveyed the landscape and just laughed in Bailey's face. This was superbly done and legitimately hysterical in every way I thought it was. Such good shit. Such good shit. And it was the segment of the week across both Raw and SmackDown for me. Yeah. It, Rollins and Bailey, the laughing, the gratingness of it. Uh, it was a natural fit. And Ding Dong Hello might be the best talk show segment WWE's done in quite a while. I, I really hope they keep this going. It's it's better than a lot of the other stuff we get and have been getting because Bailey's unique in the way she presents it. It, it. It's interesting. And you've got the door and you can do stuff with it, which is exactly what they did here. Fun little bit. Great way to do the go home. Get you excited for for what's coming up next. And uh, yeah, really, really enjoyed this. I, I, if we're, uh, I'm giving, I don't know if we're giving it, go the, for it the grades in the preview, but I'm giving it a good. Oh, no, yeah, we're not doing goods, but sure, yes, you can say you enjoyed it. Yeah, we're, we're going to stick to that only for the segment uh, going forward. So when we do the no main event, we, we don't necessarily have to do it. But yes, it was good. As Vince said, it was such, as, as I'm sorry, Bray Wyatt, as Vince said, it was such good shit. Uh, as far as the match goes, uh, look, 
Seth Rollins has not won feuds since he's returned. And really during the entire time of the Messiah character to this new evolution of it. And yet he remains strong because he doesn't really need to win feuds. I know we had Cesaro win at WrestleMania that could allow this to make some sense for Seth Rollins to get back over on him. But I don't think you bring Cesaro back with the type of segment that they did on Friday to have him ultimately lose to Rollins at the pay-per-view. I think Rollins will get over on him this coming Friday on the SmackDown Go Home Show. And ultimately Sunday, Cesaro beats Seth Rollins for the second time. This is tough because you could see this being Rollins wins and we get a rubber match at the next pay-per-view. But the next pay-per-view is Money in the Bank. And that's the exact kind of match you would want these two guys in. Right. I think they'll both be in it. I agree. So I'm going to say I'm going to say Rollins wins here and we get a rubber match maybe on the next SmackDown or something like that. Um, and and I, I think Rollins needs a little bit of something here. He has since coming back, he's he's gotten nothing. I mean, the suits are nice, but he is not someone I really take seriously because he loses all the time. So I I'm gonna say Rollins wins here, but I do think we'll see both of these guys perhaps in the Money in the Bank uh, ladder match. The last thing I'll say about this before we move on, I'm surprised this is not a Hell in a Cell match because. When they continued this feud coming out of the Roman Reigns-Cesaro title match at the last pay-per-view, it was, and they had announced Hell in a Cell, it was the strongest by far rivalry type of feud that they had on SmackDown and would have lent itself quite nicely given how barbaric they could have been to each other. They could have, you know, used chairs and tried to crush each other and, and done a bunch of things. It would have lent itself nicely to a major feud ender inside Hell in a Cell. Now, the direction that WWE ultimately went for its Hell in a Cell matches on SmackDown and Raw, we'll talk about that a little bit later. In the end, it makes sense, especially for SmackDown. But I was really surprised that this was not pigeonholed for one of those two spots. I sort of did, but then as I thought about it, the matches we typically get Hell in a Cell matches for are often title matches or something that's an absolute blood feud. And I don't think Rollins Cesaro had been quite there yet. So it wasn't, it wasn't, but we had five weeks coming out of the last pay-per-view for them to make it that. And instead they did. And don't forget, they did the angle where Cesaro was injured. He was, he's been gone for two weeks. So because he got hurt so bad, I thought he was going to come back, throw the mic down. Let's do this one more time inside hell in a cell. Instead, the match isn't even booked yet. And we have a totally different match at Hell in a Cell. So I did think that they were going to go in that direction. I did at the at the start back in five weeks ago coming out of Backlash. But uh, as it went on and we weren't getting a ton of Cesaro on TV, I kind of figured it was going to... I didn't know where it was going to go. And now we've we figured out where exactly it is going. What's What's Backlash? Do you mean WrestleMania Backlash? WrestleMania Backlash. Yes, that's right. That's right. I forgot. And I was a fan of that name, so I should I should be better at that. So as mentioned, that segment was not just about Seth Rollins and Cesaro. It was also about Bianca Belair and Bailey. They will go head to head for the SmackDown Women's Championship with Belair defending against Bailey for the second straight show. Chris, they have the reason we have nothing to really talk about before we get into predicting this match is there's been basically no booking. We we did talk last week about Bailey's manic laughing in her like lounge backstage where she pulled the virtuosity and her face appeared on all the screens in the Thunderdome. 
We did get this segment this week, but on SmackDown, they have given these women basically no time over a five-week period to build a rematch. It's just been as basic as possible. And as we say all the time, or as I say all the time, when you give Roman Reigns and his extended storyline anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes on a show, it's really ridiculous that you can't give these women seven to 10 minutes a week to put something together to build their feud, whether it's tag team matches, whether it's uh, attacks, whatever the case might be. They just kind of said, you know what? People are going to like this match, so we're just going to give it to them a second time. I felt that's incredibly lazy. We're even on Raw, and we'll talk about Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair. Was the booking good for four of the five weeks? No, it wasn't. But was there at least booking? Yes, there was. And I don't feel like that was the case here for Bianca Belair and Bailey. So look, we're going into this match. There's not much to talk about. We gave our prediction last month, which was Bianca <laughs> Belair retaining the title. And that's my prediction this month. Bianca Belair retaining the title. Is there something to be said possibly for putting the championship back on Bailey and creating a scenario where Belair can get another title win and another big response in front of a crowd at Money in the Bank or at SummerSlam? Yeah, there's something to be said for that. But you also have Sasha Banks, who's going to be returning at some point. You have the potential for Becky Lynch to return on SmackDown, which could be one of those big moments. And Becky could certainly be a face in a feud against Belair if you did want to turn her heel or if you just wanted it to be face and face. Or you could have Bailey feud with Becky for a period of time while Bianca Belair goes up against other people. So there's a number of different things that you can do in the women's division, as long as they choose to book it in that way. For me right now, it would make zero sense to take the title off of Belair. She doesn't just need to beat Bailey; She needs to beat her clean again. And I thought their first match was really good. It gives me high hopes that this one's going to be even better. Yeah, I, I mean, they've put almost no effort into this story booking-wise because I think we all know it's going to happen. There's no reason not to have Bianca as a champ as you go out on the road for the first time. You know, Bianca's going to win. Maybe you have some schmaz finish and you don't have a a winner in the end or something like that, but I see no situation where Bianca is not the champion coming out of this. And it's, it's a real shame. I mean, we've criticized WWE for a while of what they've done with Bianca since WrestleMania, and that is very little. Like, she should be like having matches and looking great and just being put in situations where she can shine because her physical ability is her greatest attribute. And that's what, that's what makes her so amazing. And instead we do things like promos. We do things like uh, laughing stuff. And it's just Bianca needs to be portrayed much stronger. And uh, maybe a hell in a cell win over Bailey again is a way to do that. Or maybe they do some weird finish, but, they gotta get Bianca doing what she does best um, at some point here. Like WWE made the move to crown two new women at WrestleMania. That's a that takes you know for Vince McMahon to do that for two different women who were not even you know Bianca Belair wasn't part of the roster over a year ago. She had one year of service, if you want to call it that way, on the main roster. Rhea Ripley just made her debut like within the month prior to WrestleMania. Her like official full time. Raw debut and Vince and WWE's creative staff put the titles on both of them at WrestleMania and they deserve credit for that. And both moments were pretty damn good. But both of them, since to your point, have been booked terribly. R- Rhea Ripley ha- was for a long time the third wheel 
in a feud with Asuka and Charlotte Flair. Bianca Belair is uh, in a far secondary role to Bailey right now, despite the fact that Belair is the one who's the champion and should be getting over strong, as you said. And there's so many opportunities for her to go over strong, even though there's not a lot of women right now. And it's very, very thin on the SmackDown roster. But you give her a nine-minute match against Liv Morgan. You give her a 15-minute match against Carmella. You ever win these things, but in between her bouts with Bailey, and that's what you do. WWE didn't do any of it. They basically said, screw this storyline, screw the women's division in a large part on SmackDown. At least Raw's booking the women. You may not like it, but at least they're booking them. Uh, it's been a little bit of a disaster on the SmackDown side. Belair has to win. She has to come out of this one way or another as champion. So let's move over to that Raw Women's Championship picture. It will be Rhea Ripley against Charlotte Flair one-on-one on Raw. We had Flair against Nikki Cross, which is a match that one week ago, Flair didn't want and almost refused to do. But suddenly, she's okay with it, and it's booked ahead of the show. Aside from that lack of continuity, I actually liked the touch of Flair cutting a promo from Gorilla position while Cross was in the ring watching the promo and like getting angry by it. Ripley entered legitimately 10 seconds after the first bell. Flair hit Cross with a fallaway slam outside, but got distracted, jawing with Ripley and was counted out. So Flair then got upset and angry and beat on Cross until Ripley saved Cross with the riptide onto Flair. So what did we accomplish here, Chris? Cross is upping her win and loss record, sure, but that doesn't matter in WWE and it never has. And she's not looking strong in any of her victories. She just beat her by countout. Flair looked like an absolute fucking moron. The referee screaming in her face, seven, eight, nine, 10. And then she turns around and is like, oh, I guess I missed the count. And like gets angry at, at the situation. She was standing there. The referee was screaming in her face. It was terrible. 0.0 in terms of that piece of booking. But I will say, Flair and Cross at least got to wrestle, which is not something they got to do in their pre- previous match. Yeah, no, I liked how this started. I mean, you talked about not having continuity. That promo segment, Charlotte explained why she wanted the match. She, she did, but she had that opportunity last week and turned I, it down. She did, but I, th- I, I think it's okay for her to say, hey, the, the, I got the title match coming up. I don't need to do this, but I'm getting pissed off, so I want to do this and make a statement. That... Not the perfect explanation, but it's an explanation. And that's all I ever want. Just give me a reason why something's happening. And that works. And yeah, and then they got to wrestle. Finally, and it was pretty good. And then the finish was a complete disaster. Again, this is like, this is like, uh, what is, what is, what are you trying to accomplish with the segment? It all, all, the only thing you accomplish is that it again made Charlotte look dumb. Just like the, just like Rhea has looked dumb with some of their losses the the count the the beat the clock loss to her a couple weeks back like I feel like they don't think about the end point of these segments when they book them and then we get the ending and all of a sudden everybody looks worse for having been a part of this it, it's been repetitive for a few weeks I know they just want to get to a Charlotte Rhea match but geez we're not going into this you know on fire or anything you don't have to have matches every week like yes we want wrestling on TV. But there's no harm in doing, let's say, that women's tag team segment that we got backstage and then creating a Natalia versus Dana Brooke match. And instead of doing this shit with Charlotte and Nikki again, 
just having some type of backstage attack where Flair beats down Cross, which creates a reason for Cross to want to actually have a regular match with her next week after the pay-per-view. Ripley, you have fight Asuka again. We'll talk about that right now. For the fourth time in two months, they're fighting on Raw. That's not even counting the WrestleMania match, but at least they finally worked quite well together. It was maybe one of their best matches. Ripley got a near fall on a Northern Lights suplex bridge. They countered submissions until Ripley caught Asuka rather naturally, actually, with her hand between her legs for the Riptide and the win. Ripley and Flair brawled afterwards until being separated. Flair legit busted her nose open and went absolutely crazy trying to get at Ripley. So we're calling back to the women's tag team segment that we discussed earlier. They did a brawl with a breakup earlier in the show with the women. And now they're doing another brawl breakup here. I just wish they didn't do it on the exact same show because it made it repetitive and it made this one, oh, we, we've seen this just inside of the last hour. Now, outside of that, and outside of the fact that Asuka is now winless in four matches against Rhea Ripley, this was a good go-home build to a feud that had absolutely no energy to it. Both of these matches, Flair and Cross and Ripley and Asuka, they were repeats, they were rematches. We didn't need either of them. But after those matches concluded, and again, those didn't need to happen at all, this break-apart brawl, Flair was going absolutely wild. Um, she looked incensed. Ripley booted her off the ring apron at one point. It was a, as good of a go-home feud, a build, I should say, for a feud that we've gotten in a while just because it was a really nice single segment to close the last Raw before the pay-per-view. Ripley and Flair finally injected some fire into this damn thing that had been missing for the prior five weeks. So despite me hating both matches, the final segment was great and I thought it closed on a really good note. It did. And I just talked about how the Charlotte and Nikki Cross segment did not, it was a dud kind of setting things up. This ended the right way. The pull apart brawls, if you do them right, they work big time. It's exactly what this did. Um, it, it very much needed this. It, it finally got some more heat on it rather than just smug, sarcastic talking, which is what 90% of women's promos are because that's just the way they write them where everybody's just dismissive and doesn't take somebody seriously. You need some oomph. You need some energy. You need some fire in there. And that's what we got with this. So it set it up pretty good. It did. Now, as far as the match goes, Chris, you want to go ahead and give your prediction first? This is tough. Th this is this is one I really could see going any other way. I, I think I picked Charlotte to take the belt back last time this to happen. I think it was the triple, In the triple threat. threat. Yeah. She, her gimmick is very much heel champion gimmick. She just doesn't have the belt. The problem is she's already a 13 time champion. So you can't just keep putting the belt on her. Uh, I, I would have Charlotte win, but it's tough because you can't have Charlotte go on like a year long reign because there just simply aren't enough challengers to do something like that. So I don't know how you kind of balance it all because this is a hell in a cell. I'm sorry, because this is a, a hell in a cell in the Thunderdome with no crowd. I'm going to say no title change. Cause I think if they do do stuff like that, they're going to want to do that with a crowd. So maybe we get some weird finish and we don't get it. We don't get a, a, a true winner, but in, and I guess Ripley retains then is my pick. If, if, if that's how we're going. Yeah. So that was quite a way to get to Ripley retaining the title. But no, you're right. Uh, so there's 
there's two different ways, trains of thought about it, right? On one hand, do you want Charlotte Flair to win the title here that way? They go into Money in the Bank and someone either cashes in on her after that event or perhaps down the line, uh, you know, at SummerSlam or on a Raw or SmackDown that's, you know, now they're touring in front of fans. You can get a huge pop. Do you want that to happen so a face gets a Money in the Bank cash in over a heel that people are going to be angry about winning the title? There's also the fact where the original plan, we believe, for WrestleMania was Lacey Evans versus Charlotte Flair, with Flair supposed to take the title off Evans after she had taken it off of Asuka. And then it was supposed to be Flair versus Asuka, which we presume would have been Flair beating Asuka for the title, except Flair had the, the either the COVID or the pregnancy scare. I'm thinking, I'm forgetting what the situation was. And in the, that term, scare means two totally different things. I should clarify. Um, but then they had to go to their third possible match, which was Rhea Ripley versus Asuka. And Ripley won the title off Asuka because that was the goal. So on one hand, I'm thinking in my head, they've been waiting to put the title back on Charlotte for a planned reason one way or the other. On the other, the fact that they're now going back with fans it makes me kind of second guess that because I don't really know that you want Flair coming in as a heel champion, getting booed right in front of fans again, and Ripley kind of just getting a two-month reign, not really doing anything with it, and kind of looking weak in her first championship run. So for all of those reasons, I go with Rhea Ripley retaining the title here. I don't know that she's going to beat her squeaky clean. I think there's a situation where Flair gets hung up in something, maybe Nikki Cross interferes or, you know, Flair does something illegal behind the referee's back after the referee gets knocked out. Cross comes in to save the day, you know, takes out Flair one way or another, and then Rhea Ripley's able to capitalize and win. I could see them doing some a booking like that, some type of schmaz finish. But in the end, I'm going to stick with Rhea Ripley winning, even though I think if WWE kind of wanted to reset their booking, which may have been the plan, putting the title on Flair makes a lot of sense. And one more thing I will say, Charlotte Flair, since this return post-WrestleMania, I really like her. Like, she was getting really tired as the old heel gimmick, and she certainly never really works that well as a face. But this new Cruella DeVille, going crazy, psychotic, it really works for me. And Mm -hmm. while I hate the gimmick, what's the name, the opportunity that makes no sense as a gimmick name for her? Yeah. While While I hate that, she has new life for me as a heel character and the idea of her losing to Ripley and going further down that rabbit hole of psychosis works for me. I think that's the booking I would do. And that's what I hope WWE is going to do on Sunday. I think it's a great idea. So uh, whether it's this week or uh, whether it's this pay-per-view or the next show, I think that's a great way to go. I'm not, I'm just not sure what's going to happen yet. Makes total sense. So let's get to the final Two matches on this card. We'll start with the WWE Championship. Bobby Lashley versus Drew McIntyre inside Hell in a Cell. McIntyre cut a promo about William Wallace backstage. I completely zoned out. I don't even know what the (laughs) point was. Is that two weeks in a row he's cutting promos about Scottish history? Like, what are we doing with this guy? We went over this last week. They completely squandered the cool babyface vibe that McIntyre had achieved for the better part of nine months. They've just thrown it in the garbage with this guy. I still like him. He's still a main event level face. Don't get me wrong. He is not in Roman Reigns suffering succotash territory, but it's starting to get close. Like it's beginning to approach 
that level. They got to be really careful with this shit with McIntyre. Lashley backstage promised to publicly execute McIntyre and mount his head on a stick. Those were literally the words he used. I didn't necessarily hate it as much, but it sounded really strange coming out of his mouth. Before we move on real quick, do you have anything to say about any of that? No, we talked about it last week. I, Drew is better than what he's being given now, and it's it's a real shame that all the things that made him different as a face you know, during the pandemic have now pretty much gone away, and he's now typical kind of annoying WWE. Comic face. book type of gimmick face. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, all right, so we got McIntyre versus AJ Styles, which was the booked singles match for this show. Lashley and MVP set up a VIP lounge to watch from the ramp. Styles made his entrance through the red velvet ropes, which I thought looked like a really cool entrance and something that Lashley should probably do as part of his entrances going forward. I don't know why you wouldn't have him enter through a VIP lounge like that. I think it's really smart. I know it was also... Go ahead. Yeah. No, well, it was also funny that Drew did not realize it was apparently there because he enters, then they go to commercial, then he comes back and then Lashley comes out and he's like, what, Lashley? But then you see all the couches. It's like, well, what did you think was going to happen when they set up all the couches on the stage? So that was another example of dumb baby face. It's like a little thing, but like anybody else would have realized that, like, how, how did you not know that was going to happen? Right, and I know the couches were there. Yeah, it's just, I feel like 2020 Drew would not have... Uh, that, that wouldn't have happened to him. Yeah. Now, what I was saying about the red velvet ropes is I know private party kind of made their entrance that way, like at the beginning of their stint in AEW, but it wasn't with couches and people drinking champagne and a whole VIP lounge aspect. I really like that for Lashley. They won't do it. They invested money into all those uh, AR packages with the gold lightning and the almighty stuff. That's fine. But I just think it'd be cool. Maybe if he, if, and once he loses the title, Maybe they go back to this as an entrance. I think it's a cool gimmick for him, and he looks really awesome doing it. Also, one of the ladies flirted with Omas when AJ Styles was making his, his entrance. I thought that was really funny. Um, but anyway, we'll move on. McIntyre hit the Future Shock DDT like minutes into the match on Styles, but didn't cover and gave Lashley an up yours gesture. Lashley ran to the ring, but the Viking Raiders music hit out of nowhere. Lashley tried to go after McIntyre, but he caught the champion with a forearm and threw him into the barricade before hitting a clothesline on Styles. Uh, Lashley then forced the disqualification and the Raiders saved McIntyre, who hit Lashley with a belly-to-belly suplex outside the ring. So after the commercial break, it's a six-man tag team match, which is really not much of a surprise. Uh, McIntyre and the Viking Raiders against Lashley, AJ Styles, and Omos. And I will say that's a bit of throwback booking. It was something WWE did every single week for years. They have not been doing that in a long time, for a long time. So I was totally okay with them doing it here. And it ended up being a really fun and exciting match. There was a nice touch with Lashley not being there for the start of the match because he had to go backstage and change out of his suit into wrestling gear. (laughs) Usually they just have them wrestle in their dress shirt and pants. That was cool that they like recognize this guy needs to change. Uh, Ivar and Lashley had a fun brawl. McIntyre stood up to Omos, nearly got choked down to his knees. He sold for him well. Omos later shoulder tackled Ivar over one barricade and threw Eric over another. Styles tagged in Lashley blind, and he got caught with a Claymore as the faces won. McIntyre screamed that he couldn't wait to see Lashley in hell, and I thought this was a shitload of fun. Big meaty man slapping me. (laughs) I mean, legit, it was five out of six 
big meaty men slapping meat all across the ring. It got me excited, not only for the WWE title match, but a future tag team title match with the number one contenders now, the Viking Raiders. The Raiders got elevated into a main event with McIntyre and Lashley. That's a good thing. And they spent the final 40 minutes on the go-home show directly building to the pay-per-view. Dude, that's a victory. That's what I talk about before every pay-per-view. I thought they did a fantastic job in that final 40 minutes. Yeah, and and that's the type of thing we more often get on SmackDown where it's a six-man that makes sense. And it's different and it's fresh. Now, I will say this was like the third match on this Raw where somebody came out with their music either at the beginning of the match or like 10 seconds into the match. The others were the, the, the Rhea Ripley Charlotte one. And there was, I don't remember what the other one was. So there was another one where someone just came out right at the beginning and, and it just, it, it was a lot kind of going on. It was kind of messy. And then what, I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, are we about to get drew and AJ for like half an hour? And then as soon as the Viking Raiders came out, I go, Oh no, we're getting the six man, but we don't get it right away. They just stand there for a bit. And then they get us to the six man, which was awesome. I am all in on Omas. I know you were not a huge fan of that at WrestleMania, but this guy, I think, has it. He just looks so natural in there for a humongous guy. And he's got the facial expressions. He's got the energy. He, he Obviously, he's not any kind of technician, but he does things that make sense. I'm really enjoying him. Him and Drew going face-to-face was really cool as well. Loved a lot of this because it was different. It was it was fresh. It was something we don't often see on Raw. So it was a pleasant way to go home uh, to the pay-per-view. Omas, to be fair, has really stepped up over the last couple of weeks since they came back. You know, post-WrestleMania, they weren't on Raw. I think it was COVID-related or something else. We're not 100% sure. Yeah. But they weren't on Raw for like three weeks or so. and then. But ever since they came back, Omos has indeed, Chris, as you said, shown it. Because there's been some comedy aspects to it. He can speak a little bit. He has some skill in the ring. He's still very, very green. Kind of like Braun Strowman was when he first uh, went into WWE with the Wyatt family. But yeah, I think him being a tag team champion, it just creates a difficult situation for the division. Did it work here? It completely worked here. I was fully sports entertained by this entire segment. And now we go into this WWE Championship match at Hell in a Cell with the stipulation. Not only is it inside Hell in a Cell, but if Drew McIntyre loses, he never gets to challenge Lashley for the WWE Championship again. And based on the finish of Raw, we know what happens in the go-home show when the face stands on top of the heel champion. We assume the WWE trope where the guy standing tall ultimately loses on the pay-per-view. And that's okay, Chris, because you and I on this podcast previewing this before both said that we think Lashley is going to end up retaining the title and that this stipulation is going to come into play. I think the booking was good to add the stip, putting it inside Hell in a Cell. You know, I don't know that it was completely necessary because the feud wasn't to that level where it needed it, but McIntyre requiring that as a means of accepting Lashley's stipulation, basically making it a double stipulation in the contract signing that we heavily praised last week. It made sense in that way from a booking standpoint. This is going to be a banger. There's going to be meat flying all over this ring. 
There's nothing gentle that's going to be about it. We're not going to see water anywhere near this match. We're not going to see bread. It's only about one thing. And I'm really excited for it. I, I think there's maybe some chance, I guess, that McIntyre could win the title. But again, if you were going to do that, you would have either done it at WrestleMania or you would have created a scenario where it happens at Money in the Bank or SummerSlam. And considering the stipulation of this match and the fact that it's not in front of fans, I see absolutely no way that Drew McIntyre wins the title. Lashley's going to retain. And that is the right piece of booking. Yes, there is a 0.0% chance that McIntyre wins this. And that's okay. And, and that's why I think the stipulation they added last week was good because it was kind of signaling to us that like, hey, we're going to move on after this. OK, just let us get through this. And and that that's fine. If Lashley gets another win, you know, he's he's rolling pretty well here. So I, I think that's good. And McIntyre really, really needs a reset. And I think this would be an opportunity to kind of do that. Um, I, I think the match will be pretty brutal. I think it'll be pretty good. These these guys have good chemistry together, but in the end, I see no way that, that Lashley doesn't win. It just really wouldn't make a shred of sense unless someone came in to aid McIntyre and they did a double turn. That's really the only way I could see it happening, and I just don't see that as a legitimate possibility. So let's move on to what we expect to be the main event of the show, Roman Reigns versus Rey Mysterio inside Hell in a Cell. So there's a lot that happened, as there always is with Roman Reigns on SmackDown. We're going to break this into a few parts, but we're going to go through it as quickly as possible. SmackDown opened with a video package before Reigns reminded Jay they've discussed not embarrassing the family. Jimmy went into the ring and said they got screwed in the first match last week, and Reigns maybe got them disqualified on purpose in the second because he's jealous of their brotherly relationship. Jimmy promised he'd do something they won't forget before the night is out. By the way, that never happened, which I thought was weird. Jay confronted Jimmy, but Jimmy went off and saying and said basically that his brother should always have his back, calling Reigns a disgrace to the family. Jay said Jimmy was out for a year and his loyalty for that time had to be with the tribal chief. Jay then later told Reigns Jimmy would only meet with him in the Usos locker room, not Reigns locker room, which made Reigns laugh. I just loved, man how Jay sold that his brain was struggling to sort out the dueling loyalties with him getting pulled in two different directions. And it was frustrating him and basically tearing him apart from the inside. Giving us that at the early juncture of the show really paid off as things developed later. J- Jay was the MVP of this episode of SmackDown. He, the, the, the work he's doing, he, he's been doing great work for almost a year now. But the emotional conflict he has is coming through so incredibly clear. And he's got and he's right to be torn between two sides. One is his brother, who he's been with forever. The other is his cousin who elevated him to the main event over the past year. Like, it's a really tough decision. It's legitimate, you know, that the conflict he's going through. And Jay sold that incredibly well. Tremendous job by him. It was really fantastic. But that was just a bit of what happened. In the Usos room uh, later, Jimmy screamed at Reigns for abusing Jay and said he'd be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame as a spoiled bitch. Reigns told Jay that Jimmy was forcing him to be in the middle and Jay finally snapped, telling both guys that he's tired of them 
and actually stood up for himself, walking away. Jimmy yelled at Reigns and challenged him to throw down. Reigns talked to Jimmy like he was being ridiculous at first, and then he eventually yelled back at him. I'm not even going to repeat the whole thing. I'm going to play a clip because it was incredible, the type of things that Roman was saying to Jimmy Uso. You want to fight me? Why? What, what, what have I done? We ain't little kids anymore. This ain't about being proud. This ain't about thinking what you want to do up here. This is our family business. This is our livelihood. This is born when you should be here. This is how we make our decisions. This is how we represent our family. Why would you do this to your brother? You're twins, yeah. But who came out first? Who came out first? So you're the older brother, right? Yeah. You're the older one. So you should be looking out for him. I shouldn't have to depend on him to reel you in. I shouldn't have to depend on him to teach you how to do that. You should just know I should be able to depend on you. Because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about... It's us. It's all of us. And the only way that we can get it done is continue to be us and to be the best every single week. That's our ticket. That's all I know. That's all I've ever known is to be the best. Why did you do that, Sam? How could you treat your brother like that? Since day one, right? And you just let him go. Bust his ass for a full year now. Completely elevates himself and you just let him go. But what? That's your brother. Don't do this to your brother. Make this right with him. Make this right with us. This is our family. And then after that, you can see Jimmy kind of nodding that he understood at the end once Reigns kind of explained it to him in that gaslighting manner. This was legitimately top tier shit from Reigns. You're expecting him to go wild on Jimmy, maybe even beat the crap out of him. But instead, he turns the entire thing around, gaslights the hell out of him, and it just makes me sure that Jimmy will basically maybe come around based on all of this. And I thought we would see that play itself out in the main event of SmackDown. Instead, I think it may play itself out in the main event of Hell in a Cell. But we'll talk about that in a moment, Chris. What did you think of this backstage segment? This is why Roman Reigns is on a God tier at the moment. This is why nobody can touch him in pro wrestling right now. Even Kenny Omega. He could not do the type of promo and mental emotional work that Roman is doing here. WWE way overuses the term mind games, playing mind games. This is the definition of that. This is literally playing mind games to get in people's heads and kind of tweak them and do different things. This was incredible. Yes, it's exactly what it is. Gaslighting. When Roman says, man, why would you do that to Jay? And I think he said the same thing to Jay. Like, why would you let Jimmy do that to you or something like that? Absolutely. I cannot believe how incredibly deep and thoughtful this story has been for like nine months now, at least 10 months. I They just every week continue to add another layer to it. And yes, that right. I w- as I was watching that, I'm thinking, oh, Roman's going to snap on him and they're going to brawl because that's what you would normally expect. Right. In pro wrestling. And they don't. He takes it to another deeper level. And that's why nobody in professional wrestling is doing anything close to what Roman Reigns is doing right now. This was, this was incredible. It really was. So then during like in between all this, we had Rey Mysterio backstage and he said that seeing Dominic in so much pain last week was torture. 
and he's going to call Reigns out. He also said Reigns is a hypocrite for preaching family, but treating his own family like shit and going after the Mysterios. This was easily Ray's best promo since returning to WWE a couple of years ago. He had been really bad on the mic recently. He crushed this. He was perfect. Yeah, um, and everything made sense. Again, when you don't need to, when you don't need to twist something and it just the story makes sense, it's really easy to cut that promo. That's what. That's why it should be that way. It is. And he called out Reigns in the main event of the show and acknowledged him as a rat bastard who he then challenged inside Hell in a Cell. Ray threw the mic and Reigns laughed. And then Paul Heyman literally pulled the microphone out of his waistband <laughs> inside his suit, which made me laugh. He's yeah. just so perfect. Yeah. Uh, a kendo stick slid in from out of nowhere by Mysterio's feet. He grabbed it, pounded Reigns with it. Roman overpowered Ray. Then Dominic came in out of nowhere with a kendo stick and Reigns literally powerbombed him over the top ropes outside to the floor. There was surely a crash pad out of view, but the visual was sick. And WWE production did a great job showing Dominic get thrown and launched over the ring without showing the pad, cutting back to Reigns, and then cutting back to Dominic with the pad removed in agony on the floor. I just thought this was incredible and the visual was absolutely redonkulous. Neither Jimmy nor Jay helped Reigns during the attack, which I thought was interesting. But the Hell in a Cell match is officially happening as announced on Talking Smack. Now we're going to get to the match in a moment, but Chris, this was incredibly done on Friday. Literally every single segment hit. And as I said earlier, it only took 31 minutes of the show, which left a lot more time for everything else for the first time in weeks. Yet it was still spread, this storyline, throughout the two hours, despite only being about 31 minutes. All five of them did a tremendous job. The rain stuff remains the hottest storyline in wrestling and the best character work. And yes, as you said, Jay Uso was the MVP of SmackDown. Yeah, I mean, and they've done a really good job. I know in recent weeks we've talked about how they've put too much time into the Roman stuff, but I, I was at least complimentary that they tied in other storylines to it. To, so it wasn't just the one thing. And now we had the Mysterios tied into this. I, I really enjoyed everything they did in this closing segment. The only thing was I, I thought that Dominic, if he had been more hurt from last week, I feel like that would have kind of kept the edge up that we needed to explain why this is Hell in a Cell. They had already agreed to Hell in a Cell before Roman threw him out of the ring. No, Dominic, they do I have this backwards then? Yeah. So he, he issued a challenge. Roman was going to accept. He started talking shit about Ray. Yeah. He was like, I, he was going to say, I acknowledge you as whatever. And oh, then and they put it the, the candlestick came in. They didn't make it official until Talking Smack. Paul Heyman just said it on Talking Smack. Oh, okay. I guess I just, I guess I, I didn't see the Talking Smack. I guess I assumed that it was a Hell in a Cell challenge. I take that back. So that, so that works. So that works uh, a, a bit more. Um, but still, I, I still think Dominic being hurt, you know, would have added to more as to why. Like either way, Ray wanted to get his hands on Roman because Roman put his hands on Dominic. Well, Dominic's a wrestler, man. He's like he's in this company. Just because somebody beats somebody up is not the big deal, especially if he's fine the next week. If Dominic had been in a local medical facility because he was still wounded from from the beatdown, I feel like that would have made a little bit more sense. I might be picking. I might be no, you're right. Hits here. But it, it we 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 in accepting the challenge at that moment didn't seem like there was enough really heat on it yet. Te yeah, technically it should have been a situation where like 
if they had played it out in a, in a better fashion, slightly better, Ray becomes the number one contender. And after that, Reigns destroys Dominic and then he power bombs him outside the ring. And then Ray challenges him the next week to a Hell in a Cell match. That's really how it should have worked. But you have to remember, it's his son. It's not just his tag team partner. So the fact that Reigns beat Dominic that bad even last week gave Ray the motivation he already needed. And now going into this match, basically you have to believe or you hope that Dominic is taken out and not someone who can help Ray in the main event, right? And now you have this situation, despite that being the case, where Ray may not have this help from Dominic in the main event, that this pay-per-view is taking place on Father's Day. So (laughs) he really probably should not have been hurt to such a degree where he couldn't come out and help his father. And by the way, when we're talking about changing the tag team titles and Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio, and we talked initially about, hey, they should have done this at WrestleMania in front of fans because it would have gotten a huge pop. And then they did it instead at WrestleMania Backlash. They could have saved it for this month when the pay-per-view is actually on Father's Day and it would have meant even more. So I don't know, just the whole booking and decision-making regarding these tag team titles has been a little weird. But now you enter this situation where Ray may or may not have Dominic. And even if he does, Dominic's going to be hobbled to some degree. And it looks like Roman Reigns may not just have Jey Uso on his side, but may have actually gotten into Jimmy Uso's head a little bit, at least based on the segment at the end of SmackDown. So going into this match, for me, there's a lot of intrigue. I don't think there's intrigue in terms of who I expect will win and who won't win, but I'm interested in the booking and I'm very interested to see how they play the entire thing out. Yeah, I mean, obviously we all know Roman Reigns is going to win, but we're curious how they get there because, you know, the Hell in a Cell... Last time we had this was Roman versus Jay. And that that was the one I think where Jimmy came out and basically gave up for him. And that was when Roman was officially crowned head of the table by by, by the Wild Samoans. Incredible moment, thinking back to that, by the way. They absolutely nailed that. That's Um, true. So, so, yeah, we're going to have some kind of shenanigans in some form or another, I'm sure, because this will probably main event the show. Uh, So I don't really know what to expect. Does Dominic hobbled come out and then get beat down and then jimmy jimmy and jay you know rescue roman and, and all stand tall together i think it's possible i think we might i think there's a chance we end this pay-per-view with what you like to call the bloodline it would be great to see that the concern i have going into this is there just doesn't seem to be any scenario where not not even a concern that's the wrong word there doesn't seem to be any scenario where it makes a shred of sense for Rey Mysterio to beat Roman Reigns, because even if you were going to book that, you would never do that, not in front of fans. It, that would have to be a Money in the Bank or a SummerSlam match. No yep. question about it. So for all of those reasons, look, Roman Reigns is winning. He's been winning. I also think that it's fair to note, we got a long string of distraction finishes or interference, I should say, I'm sorry, finishes in Roman Reigns matches dating back to the start of his title reign. But the last few have been clean. He hasn't had help from Jay. He beat and retired Daniel Bryan from SmackDown. He beat Cesaro clean. He's gotten over clean at WrestleMania as well, over Edge and Daniel Bryan. I mean, there there were actually, that wasn't squeaky clean, I'm sorry. But he did end up pinning both of them in the middle of the ring. So I have hope that despite all of the different ways there could be interference or distraction finishes 
And I'm sorry if you hear my dog snoring his ass off in the background while I do this. Um, but despite all of those possibilities, I also think it's a really good possibility that Reigns walks out of here clean with a win over Rey Mysterio in what to many is a dream match because we never really thought we would see this. I think Ray's elevation to the main event may have happened a little bit too quick to again believe that he's someone who could legitimately win. But other than that, the storyline's been built well. There's a lot of heat on Reigns for killing Dominic. Ray and Dominic as tag team champions, they would potentially have a reason to lose those titles if they're both really injured coming out of this event. And I think it's going to be a very worthy main event for the final pandemic WWE pay-per-view. We hope. Yep. I I I think I'm I'm less I don't know. I I think it's less likely Roman just wins straight up because then he will have single-handedly destroyed the tag team champions on his own. And I feel like you want to protect them a little bit in that sense. So, uh, but, but, but it's possible. Like, here's the thing. This is how good the Roman stuff is. We know Roman's going to win, but we are really, really interested in seeing how it happens because every single time it's been really interesting. That's exactly right. When you know the result of the match already, but are still curious and wanting to see the pay-per-view, and it's the main event especially, that's really good booking. And that's what they're giving us with Roman Reigns. Consistent, really good booking. So that's the ultimate preview. That means we need to give our pre-show expectation grades for WWE Hell in a Cell. Chris, I will let you, as is tradition, go first. I am going to say B+. I don't, I don't think I, I didn't pick any title changes. And again, this is kind of the purgatory pay-per-view before we get back on the road, but I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be solid. I think there'll be enough entertaining things that'll give it a a B plus. I don't think I can go to B plus just because of the fact that there's so many matches here where the build just isn't great or it's not even solidified. Like Ripley, the two women's matches in particular, there's really not much reason to care about either of them with the exception of the go-home segment for the Raw match. And Bliss and Shayna Baszler, by the way, pretty cool. Six matches on the pay-per-view, three women's matches, three three men's matches. I don't think that's ever happened before, even if there have been multiple women's matches on a pay-per-view. So that's pretty cool. But all three of these, the, the builds just aren't really strong enough Rollins and Cesaro, the build is super strong, but Cesaro was gone for a few weeks. And both that and the Roman Reigns-Rey Mysterio match, it's not that they seem rushed. It just seems like they're getting kind of fit into the pay-per-view where otherwise maybe they wouldn't have belonged in this spot. And then you have Lashley versus McIntyre, which is another rematch for the WWE Championship. So there's not much that allows me to start above a B but I can't go below a B because I don't think we've graded a WWE pay-per-view below a B minus or a C plus since definitely not since last year's hell in a cell, but probably not since last year's like money in the bank. I think everyone has been in the B range or maybe at worst I gave something a C plus, but I don't even think that happened. I think they've all been B's or A's to this point. So I don't think it's going to be a bad show, but especially coming off of uh, NXT takeover, that I gave a B after expecting an A minus. I can't give, I can't over expect here. And I don't want to undervalue the card that we have because there's a lot of good matches with a lot of really good wrestlers here. So I'm just going to go with a flat B. I think they're going to live up to that. And I don't think they're going to exceed it, but I could definitely be surprised. 
Yeah, I I think overall card wise, it's it's a B. It's definitely a B. I think because we just talked about Roman, I think I'm expecting a really interesting finish to the show with Roman that might end up pushing it into that B plus. And maybe I shouldn't expect that, but I but I, I think you're overall right that B is the floor, but the ceiling isn't much higher either. Right. I don't think it has an A ceiling by any means. The ceiling's probably an A minus, but I don't even know how we would get there. You know, based on the matches and based on us having the expectation, we should mention this as well, that WWE is kind of, I don't, I don't want to say not giving full effort. That's the wrong word. They're not, they're not going out with the bang on a pandemic era because they want to start the non-pandemic era, the return to live crowds with a bang. So they're saving up. They're kind of biding their time and waiting in the waters until fans come back and they're able to actually give us, hopefully, some dynamic storytelling and really exciting title victories and feuds that we've been really waiting to see ever since WrestleMania. They've just kind of been like jogging in place right now. And I think that's all purposeful. So does that make for a great pay-per-view? Maybe not, but it does make sense in the context of we're going to have live crowds again. We're going to have a draft. SummerSlam, our second biggest show of the year. And first time we're going to be doing that inside of a stadium since Wembley in like 1992. All of that kind of coming together, it makes it okay for this to not just be a B-level pay-per-view, but a B-grade pay-per-view. Especially when you, on top of all of that, consider the fact this was originally scheduled to be Money in the Bank. They pushed that back and brought up Hell in a Cell, I think from September all the way to June because they needed another pay-per-view because they wanted to double up and give us money in the bank and SummerSlam when fans return. So for all of those reasons, I think a B for me, a B plus for you is completely fair. And we will hear what all of you, our listeners think about WWE Hell in a Cell because we will have a pre-show poll posted Sunday before Hell in a Cell begins on our Twitter account at Getting Overcast, where you guys can give us your pre-show predictions on grades We will also have a poll after WWE Hell in a Cell goes off the air so you can tell us what you thought about that pay-per-view. But Chris, between now and then, there's a lot going down on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Coming up on Wednesday, tomorrow, we will have a NXT recap with all of the fallout from NXT TakeOver in your house, including a really big storyline about William Regal and the future of him as general manager of NXT. We will also have a special WWE interview. I will be speaking to a superstar for the very first time here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast ahead of Hell in a Cell, just a little bit of extra for you guys. And then we will also do a WWE Hell in a Cell go home preview. It will be a live show as always on Twitter spaces. The expectation right now is to do it on Sunday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. You'll be able to listen to that if you have Twitter via iOS app, Android app, or desktop, or mobile web. All you need to do is follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Some point this week, we will send out a tweet where you can set yourself a reminder and receive an alert right before that show begins. On that show, we will talk about everything that happened on the go-home SmackDown as it relates to Hell in a Cell. And that's with the assumption that SmackDown isn't so ridiculously awesome that we don't do a live show immediately after SmackDown goes off the air on Friday night. The plan as of right now is to do it on Sunday ahead of the pay-per-view. 
So we will have that. And then of course, Sunday night, as soon as WWE Hell in a Cell goes off the air, we will have our instant analysis podcast for you right here on our normal Getting Over Wrestling podcast feed. So there is a ton of podcasting still left to go for you this week, at least two more shows, plus the live show on Twitter spaces that you absolutely do not want to miss. So Chris, before we get out of here, anything else you want to say about Hell in a Cell, the week to come, or anything else about pro wrestling? Uh, Mostly that I'm excited to get out of the pandemic era. I'm excited for this pay-per-view, but with every week, we get closer and closer to WWE going on the road, and they keep showing those commercials during the shows. They they get me really excited every time uh, they do those. I think those are really well-done commercials. Uh, by the way. So it's getting me more and more excited for what's coming next uh, down the road pretty quickly here in in pro wrestling. Consider this. We have run this podcast now for 17 months. Okay. And money in the bank next month in July, my birthday month will be the first WWE pay-per-view that we get to review with a full capacity. Wow. Isn't that ridiculous? I I mean, are we really pro wrestling pundits if we're not commenting on the quality of the crowd well i, mean, I got to i to be fair i got to we got to do that for takeover we on, did uh, but it was a 300 Sunday. person crowd and there was the one AEW show but i mean like that's like i, I got the, to we got to comment on it for double or nothing also yeah part I mean, of the foundation of pro wrestling commentary is judging fans and i we know. just have not been able to do that so i i'm excited to be able to do that pretty well, soon the good news is wwe's 25 city tour schedule right now is not does not include lafayette louisiana so man very positive big fan regard. of the raging cajuns down there put some respect sure but just not their wwe uh fans for raw or smackdown but okay that's it we are headed off today a little bit of a longer show but that's what happens when we do the ultimate previews please do not forget big show with a big interview coming up on wednesday and our wwe hell in a cell instant analysis on sunday night lastly folks let us not forget not only do you need to follow us on twitter at getting overcast you also need to remember what the getting over wrestling podcast is all about So now that the show is over, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and review to let people know how much you love the show and help us boost up in our rankings. That's it. It is time to say goodbye. I will see you on Wednesday and then again with Chris on Sunday for that instant analysis. But for now, I'm just going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now.